my first day in motion capture. My first day in motion capture, uh, I turned up at Shepperton Studios, very in awe of uh, being at a studio and not really knowing what I was doing. My dad had talked me into just coming up and giving a hand with it. And I got handed Gary Oldman's script, told to sit down and uh, they put all the markers on my face and uh, told me to read through the lines as I was uh, um, Gary Oldman. I would love to say it was a really enjoyable experience, but um, I'm much more comfortable with someone behind the camera rather than in front of the camera. And I actually stayed away for about six months after that, was slightly traumatised by it, and then came back up. We'd started working on the Hitman, uh, the original Hitman title. And um, I came up to do a bit of running work, really, and they let me press uh, record and shout action. And I was kind of hooked, really, from that point onwards. Wow, that's so interesting. And how about uh, you, John? <laughs> uh, hi, everyone. My name is John Dower. Um, I'm predominantly a director. Um, I was an actor a very long time ago, and then I got more and more interested in directing and sort of moved my way up from a runner to second assistant director to first assistant director. Then I went to film school, went to film school in Leeds in Poland, in Łódź in Poland. Uh, and then I came out of film school thinking I'm going to be a big movie director. Um, and that didn't quite happen as I intended. I sort of worked in television. I did things like um, Casualty and The Bill and shows like that. Um, then I had a family. And when you have a family, you kind of have to pay the bills. So it became more, that became pretty important, really. That became my priority. But then one day I saw an advert in the Directors Guild online magazine. And it said... Um, games developer needs a director to try and help create an emotional bond between player and the characters in this game because they were that's what they're having a challenge with so really they were really looking for someone who could kind of help create a character and help create more emotionally engaging performances i knew nothing about games the last time i played a game was probably pac-man or space invaders back in the 80s so i have to admit i was highly ignorant I went along to this game company and was really struck by the ingenuity and creativity that was oozing out of it. It was, it was a company called Lionhead, which was owned by Microsoft, which some of you may remember. It made games like Black and White and um, Hospital and the Fable series. And we were making a game called Milo and Kate for the Xbox 360. And... Um, what struck me were the similarities and yet the complete differences between what I knew as a director. So I, what, what I am as a director essentially is a visual storyteller and I'm used to working with scripts and actors and telling stories. All of that was present in games, but what was added to the, 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 you know, the challenge from my point of view was the fact the game was interactive. And interactivity, I'm sure for all this audience, they will completely understand the notion of interactivity versus sort of linear storytelling because they grew up with it, whereas I hadn't. So for me, it was a big learning experience, massive learning curve. And I spent three years working on that game, which never got released, which broke my heart. And I got to go and work in Los Angeles and I got to work in the, in the same place that they were making Avatar, the same place that Spielberg was making Tintin, you know, so it was an amazing immersion and I felt very lucky to work in that area. And since then I've been jumping between working in film TV and performance capture. And these days I'm also 
Um, I co-founded a company called the MoCat Vaults and we run training courses uh, and consultancy to teach actors and animators and directors about working in motion capture. And I'm currently sort of, again, jumping between film and I'm working on directing cinematics for a couple of games for a company called Sabre Interactive. So for me, the, the, the really important thing to get across is I don't think there's that much difference between the skills required as a director but I just think you need to understand that it's a diff it's it's a somewhat different medium so and I hope we'll get into sort of some of those nuances of difference between acting and directing for stage and, sc and screen and then for doing it for performance and motion capture and Pascal's a great person to talk about that because that's really where his skills lie. He's very forensic about, anyway, I don't want to tell you too much about Pascal. I'm sort of introducing him onto Pascal. There we go. That's such a perfect <laughs> link to you, Pascal. <laughs> um, my, uh, my beginnings in performance capture were with a game called Heavy Rain. Um, I'd already been working, uh, I was originally a, uh, trained as a dancer, went professional for a couple of years, went to drama school, Left drama school, did theatre for a couple of years at Glasgow Sits, um, did a, a bit of TV, you know, just did the usual, um, you know, a jobbing actor kind of pathway, uh, the ups and downs, you know. And then Paul DeFratis uh, uh, had a casting for a video game called Heavy Rain. And um, it was a bit of an odd one. The scripts that I was given were for two characters originally, I remember. I've actually came across the original audition script recently because uh, I've been unpacking boxes. Um, and it was, you know, it was like, a, now I'm more familiar with this, they write a script in order to, uh, there's not really much to do, it's sort of thematically connected to the game, but not exactly the game, because they don't want to give it away. Um, so it was a big chunk of text, um, a scene, and, and I forgot about it in eight, nine, I think 10 months later, I got a call saying, and again, this is, <laughs> this is quite, I mean, at the time, it's less so now, but, there can be a long time lag between when you're seen for a mocap job and when you know that you've got it, particularly if you're going to be playing a, a principal character. Um, yeah, I'd forgotten about it. And then they gave me the job, and then I was back and forth to Paris for about two years, uh, which was very fancy, um, very enjoyable. Um, and the moment that the penny dropped would have been, I've said this before, I used to enjoy looking at the point cloud. So seeing my, the outline of my body, although back then it was just the points, uh, moving in space. And uh, there was a scene where I had to take a shoebox and put it into a, take it out of a, a locker, you know, a, a railway station, uh, Grand Central. And there was meant to be a gun in there and some other origami figure and something else. And it had, it was meant to have weight, but I saw it, I saw it back. And I'm sort of, you know, everything's sort of, grill, it's no real furniture, it's all made up, you know, and sort of cobbled together. I pull out this shoebox and I just pull it out. And I look back at it and thought, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. What's wrong with that? And it's because there was no weight in the box and I wasn't giving it weight. It was a simple thing, put weight in the box. I did it again and it was, I said, oh, okay. And then the penny dropped. Every moment in motion capture was a chance to physically tell the story. And from that moment, I was hooked because not only are you responsible for physically uh, embodying the character, um, you are, uh, I lost my point now. <laughs> um, 
so I'm still I'm still still thinking about that moment. I just blew my mind. Um, uh, no, yes, sorry, no, I've lost my point. I lost my point. Okay, it'll come back. The, the importance of weight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the importance of weight. Yeah, yeah. So the important not only you're doing that, but um, uh, at, at some point in the in the, the game, I was asked to play another actor uh, because he couldn't make it that day. And then my mind was blown again because that meant that I could become physically anybody else if I only knew how to. And so I played this other character and I could still see it was me. And so those two things, A, tell the story physically, you know, embody the character, that's one thing. B, you can become somebody else. Uh, suddenly it opened up this, this uh, it's like when I was a kid again and, and doing make-believe that suddenly I was given the opportunity. Here is a medium where you can change yourself to the degree that even if your mother saw you, they wouldn't recognize you. And to me, that's like the pinnacle of, of acting ability is to transform yourself to that degree. And so that started me on a long, long journey to figure out what I was doing wrong and what I could do better. Yeah. Wow. That, that's funny enough, like the reasons why I think so many people are getting into mocap and performance capture is because you can fully transform. But maybe just to bring it back a little bit, if you guys had to say to someone who never heard of performance capture what it is, how would you describe it? Would anyone like to take the lead? Uh, I'll <laughs> go first. Uh, from, certainly from the technical point of view, it's capturing really every nuance of the performance from the audio to the facial animation mm -hmm. and most of the time the fingers and the body movement as well. Um, for for our from the technical point of view, we use a head-mounted camera to um, track all the facial movement. We used to put optical markers all over the face, and that practice isn't used quite so much now. And then we have we have an audio team there, uh, directors, performance. So it really is capturing everything. Prior to that, with motion capture, we used to call it the Frankenstein method, where you might be using one person's voice someone else's face and then you might have two or three different actors depending if there were stunts to do to make one character and both still I mean performance capture is definitely the the direction everything's going in now but there are still lots of jobs where the budget say might only be able to uh, run as far as to get a famous actor's face and the voice and then you'll have uh, do motion capture for the body so you still separate things and bring them back together. The, the best thing with performance capture, from our point of view, is just everything is synced. Everything works together. We don't have to uh, kind of, I'll, I'll say fudge for the want of a better word, mm -hmm. trying to line up facial movements so it becomes believable with the, with the body movement and things. And um, yeah, it's, de it's definitely the, 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 the way the industry is going now, just for that, that completely synced performance. Emily, just to sum it up, I would say that it is taking human-derived motion and putting it into a digital pipeline. And it does that by tracking points on the body. This is, this is either done by cameras or it can be done by inertial, which is another way of capturing the, the, um, the motion. Um, it's basically capturing the actor's skeleton. So it's, it's, it's all about joints and the relationship between the skeleton and the joints. Uh, which is why Pascal was referring to the point cloud, which is all the dots in three dimensions, which represent the shape of the body. That skeleton, digital skeleton, is then used. And what, what the animators do then is they put a digital skin around that skeleton, which drives the character. 
So essentially that's why, you know, Pascal can, Pascal's body can, his data can drive anything you want, really. It can drive a, a, a humanoid, it can drive a creature, it can drive something that looks completely and utterly different to him. Um, it can be fat, it can be seen, it can be whatever. Um, but, but it's about the skeleton. And so that's why, when we're talking about motion capture anyway, that's why physical um, accuracy with which the, the actor is able to embody that character is so crucial. And then what Phil's talking about added to that is a sort of performance capture, which is the difference between motion capture and performance capture. Motion capture is basically about the body and performance captures the whole kit and caboodle. So face, voice, fingers, everything. So, but the, but the important thing to gather is that that's what you're doing is you're using human drive motion to drive a pipeline, which drives a digital performance. And for, from a, so I think I think sort of I think between us I think we've summed it up. I think so. Yeah, you're, you're missing you're missing yeah. one element I think, which is from the performance point of view, what is performance capture? Because although it's it's a you know a physical representation into a digital pipeline that's after the event. From the performance point of view, it's a, it's it's just another way of capturing a performance is one way of looking at it. But I would say that it's a way of capturing performance without smoke and mirrors of real life. When you watch. Uh, a TV, uh, a TV show or a film, you get so much information about the person, the character from the visuals, from uh, the color of the skin, from their clothing, from uh, the environment. I'm just looking at John now in his office, you know, that's a, that's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. Motion capture strips all that away and says, in essence, what is, what is John's physicality? What is it? What is that skeleton doing in space? And then you add the, the you know, the sock on top, and you know, I say the sock, it's, it used to be called uh, a sock, was it sock puppet? Like <laughs> um, so you put, you put the skin of the character on top and put the environment around it. Everything is constructed around, uh, or you're, you're placed within a virtual world. And so, so therefore for a performer, um, everything is reduced down to that, that essential storytelling purpose of the human body. And the, that performance capture that would include the face as well. Um, and you don't, it's, <laughs> it's very difficult to get away with lying. It's really difficult mm. as a result. It's, a, it's one of the truthiest forms of uh, acting that you can do, actually. There's, there's plenty of uh, arbitrary rules that you also have to, you know, uh, fudge to use. Um, <laughs> feels like they exist in any medium, you know. Um, but definitely it, it picks up on, on, uh, on fakery, for sure. Mm. It's truthiest. One of the most truthiest. That's good. I like that. I haven't heard that word before. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, we've tried so many ways of getting around certain things sometimes, maybe males playing females and vice versa and that. And mocap, if it's captured correctly, will show everything. You, you, can, you can so easily tell if it's a uh, a, a woman performing to be a male just because the gait is so different I mean you you kind of know this but when you work with uh, as John was saying you're working with the skeleton of someone rather than the the flesh on the outside it does show I've had performers that have had sports injuries that to look at them you wouldn't know but then you get their animation back and that injury becomes prevalent across every every animation then you've got to uh, keyframe it out afterwards so you you, it, you learn these things very quickly from the technical side because you just know you're going to make your life absolute uh, misery otherwise 
And so leading on from everything that you guys are saying, um, where do you think performance capture is heading? So we know where it is now, but I wonder if you guys know where it could be heading. So you've seen the stuff with Royal Shakespeare Company that they've done. It's not just video games anymore. And I know that all three of you are really involved in the industry. Do you know any idea where it could be heading just for all of us youngsters watching? And <laughs> I mean, one, one thing I'm excited to see is what will come out of the new Avatar movies. And specifically, there's been rumours of underwater mocap. Um, which, to my knowledge, hasn't really been achieved. There's been an analysis of swimmers' arms and some of their movement, but this is actual underwater performance. So I'm very excited by that. I also think there's going to be a lot more AI involved um, in terms of being able to simulate movement, create libraries that AI will be able to have much more control over than they have at the moment. Um, yeah, what, what else did I, I... I wrote a load of notes about this, actually. Volumetric capture and um, sort of holographic performances as well. Um, Prime Minister Modi used, uh, like, it's a Musion technology, I believe, for um, basically doing, doing talks around India as a, as a hologram. And, I, and you remember there was the gorillas that had the holographic uh, gigs as well so I think all of these these sort of processes that are underway now are starting to converge together the technology is getting better more robust we can do mocap outside now rather than just indoors so yeah there's, there's a lot of exciting things to happen and you know as someone that's been in it as long as I am I have I'm almost exhausted by the advances that have gone on that's why I've ended up in management I think there comes a point when your head just gets gets full of tech if you're someone like me anyway you know there are people that absolutely you know soak up the technology and, and of course games engines as well storytelling through like unreal and unity where you've you've got the the footage from led screens and you've also got the the live action elements going on so again it's all being composited into one scene so yeah i mean the future is so exciting and there's the nice thing is now there's all the training to go with it. When I, when I came into MoCat, there was absolutely no training at all. You had to speak to the software developers who weren't really trainers, let's put it that way, and sit there with a manual on your lap and just sort of work it out. You know, I, we couldn't even see the marker cloud uh, when I first started. We'd have to process the view of each camera so that we could then get a marker cloud. So there was no reviewing shots or anything afterwards. So it has, it's come a, it's come a long way in a relatively short period of time. And it's, I believe it's still in its infancy now. Yeah, and, and on that one, I know that we have a few directors who are on the, the chat today. This is sort of maybe going towards you, John. Performance capture directing is quite new. How would you say to someone who's a director but interested in getting into this side of it, how should they go about it? And how you did say it's not that different from film, but is there any difference between it? And then saying to you, Pascal, about acting, what are the major acting differences between them both? Um, do you want to go first, Pascal? Or... <laughs> um, I'd quite like to answer the previous question, if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, no, no, that's cause... fine, of course, of course. I think, I think it's really good to think about the, the sort of technical side of where we're going with mocap mm -hmm. and with performance capture. But I'd like to talk more about the sort of cultural side because yeah. one of the things that struck me when I first worked in mocap was how technical it was and how much the performance was really just kind of seen by the animators and the, the technicians and the, the whole pipeline specialists as kind of one small component 
of the final result. And I think something that's happened since I've started working in it, which is probably about 14 years ago, is that I do think that actors and performers and script and writers and directors and I've been taken more seriously because ultimately my, my sort of, my mantra is this is a performance medium and therefore we really need to think about the performers and the performance. And I'm beginning to see, and I think Phil's right that we are in our infancy. We are just out of talkies. Mm. You know what I mean? We are just kind of, mocap's just climbing out of an undergrowth and is going, actually yeah. we're here and we're significant because you know, we've proved, I think, really clearly that mocap's a really significant art form and a medium, um, particularly as movies start to get made using real-time game engines. So the recent Jungle Book, Disney's Jungle Book, was made in Unity, for example, and there are lots and lots of examples, particularly in Star Wars and films like that, where they're using real-time engines to produce work. And I think what's happening, therefore, is that... Um, Drama schools are beginning to go, oh, maybe our graduates might end up working in something mm. like this weird, you know, because a, a lot of teachers, let's face it, are kind of have less experience and less confidence in this area than young people and the people doing it. And I'm, I'm feeling like there is a revolution happening. And I think the revolution is going to be that digital virtual production is going to be is going to be recognized and respected and it's going to bring forward a new generation of performers directors dramatists and the same is true of the film industry so the film industry when i started was incredibly snobby about this world that we're talking about and directors i knew would be like oh i don't know if, why, why would i want to work in games you know it's producers i'd tell producers i just worked on a game tv producers and they'd be they'd look at me like i was speaking greek but I think that's changing. And I think it's changing because of, of the fact that technology are the technologies used by the, the get the games industries and the film industries are beginning to converge. So I think we're talking about a cultural revolution happening, which I think is the really exciting bit. And, uh, and, and for example, we only started the mocap vault seven years ago. At that time, I would have, I, it was hard for me to say to women who came to our classes, there will be work for you because I just don't think that was easy to say. I think now, I think we're changing. You know, I think, I think that's what I mean. I think, I think the, the, the audience and the demand for performers and for stories that represent things that they're interested in is really growing, which means there are more roles for women, more roles for women, more roles for people of color. There is representation that's, that's much, there's much more diversity. I think, I think we're, we're, we're going forward. In 10 years time, I suspect we'll be in a very, very different place culturally and i think that the the mocap and performance capture you know industries will be massively advanced and people people will have had to take them seriously film schools will start teaching this stuff you know drama schools will start teaching this stuff i mean i fervently hope they all do i mean some of them may well remain stuck in the mud but <laughs> it's so interesting you say that maybe we should do a 10-year revamp in 10 years time and see what's all changed it'll be in it's a, so such a different place in 10 years it will be it and will it's be. so interesting what you said about drama school because i'm currently at drama school and i know there's probably some people that go to drama school on this call we grew up with it like you were saying at the beginning we grew up with the video games the the planet your tutors the didn't your tutors did not yeah <laughs> and it's for us we're like so excited and uh as going into third year it's something that if you ask any of us all of us want to do 
Yeah. And so I think you're completely correct in that sort of culture that's called creation. John, John, John's very right in what he says as well about when I, when I first came into it, it was about the tech and the, how amazing it is that you could create animation. Uh, the actual acting, it, it was a very much a secondary thing. And I think, you know, it's become legitimized really with Andy Serkis and, you, you know, I remember actors that did work and it saw it as mime and thought it was a little bit beneath them initially. Not, not all, but I, there's certain occasions I remember people not really enjoying the experience. And I've been lucky enough to see that completely flipped on its head now where, you know, people that, that perform want to get the experience now. They're very pragmatic about it. But it is a new generation that have grown up with games and things as well. Mm. Sorry, Pascal, I jumped in your, your, your place there. I'll also pick up on something that John said, which was about how when, you know, years ago, uh, you, would, you would go to a game studio and you'd have, uh, maybe 40 or 50 people in the pipeline all handling different aspects of, of uh, processing the data. And what's happened in the past what, five, eight years or so is that all that technology has been democratized. So that means that, that people have free access to Unreal or Unity, that they, uh, uh, that they can come out of universities with an understanding of these platforms and these, um, uh, these tools. And then the question comes, well, what are you going to do with it? And the, the, the next generation who has grown up with game, has grown up with this, this, uh, this way of storytelling, um, and, and now in a situation where if you, if you can get, you're, you're going to see more independent and smaller productions using motion capture. You'll see it on different platforms that you wouldn't expect. Like theatre is a good example of, of this always is, a, is an omnivore as far as technology is concerned, you know. Um, it always loved the special effects from lighting to, you know, the thunder effects. So this was, was definitely possible. But then you've got uh, live, uh, live animation is now possible. You have live uh, virtual reality um, that, is, uh, that can be located across the world. There's, there's somebody I know who, and this is entirely possible, is that you can employ actors in different time zones who have their own motion capture suits, you know, uh, say Rococo or uh, XM who can be dropped into virtual game worlds to interact with players who are playing on the other side of the world who need them at that time zone. So this, this technology, it's not just about um, the technology itself. It's then the question of, you've got a whole generation of people who no longer think that it's special, exceptional, or mind-blowing like we do. It's like, yeah, well, of course you can do that. And, they, and you, if you want to look at what some of the other stuff that people, you look at Matt Workman, um, you follow him on LinkedIn or, or social media. You see the toys he's playing with, and he does it from his garage. You know, I mean, this is this is this is a revolution that's going on uh, uh, as we're speaking right now. We're right at that point where suddenly this this uh, this technology is now accessible to to a whole new generation in a way that was impossible five ten years ago. And I think that's that's going to help define where mocap goes actually. Wow. <laughs> Making it harder for outsource companies like That's us. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> you you mentioned AI in our game. <laughs> but, but you mentioned AI, which is going to make it harder for actors to doing well, uh, yes. player character work. There's always uh, winners and losers, and the only the only thing that we can all be testament to is the ability to adapt. That's it. That's, that's all we got. <laughs> yeah. No, you have to be pragmatic about about technology. That's one thing I have learned. 
Definitely. Well, I'll just let everyone know who is listening with us. There is a Q&A box. So in about 15 minutes, if you want to pop them in now and then we'll go back to you guys. But I was just wondering, so we're talking about all this thing. Is there any moment in your career so far, because obviously there's so much more for it to go, which blew you or you're so proud of? Um, I just, I love hearing about people's like highlights. There might be many, but if you could pick one, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, I mean, the biggest sort of achievement I feel that we've, at Centroid, that we've done has been sort of horse and rider capture and battle scenes. So multiple horses, multiple riders. And we also did a camel with a rider. Uh, and they were just bizarre things. You have to work out the, the bio mechanics of the quadruped uh, the camel's legs don't aren't necessarily a hinge like a human is so it was probably the most nervous I've been so the the enjoyment came from the relief when we realized that we'd done it because to do something first you've got to make it up to a certain degree uh, you know wing it a little bit and you know you use the best of your experience uh, another case was capturing a full-size basketball court with all the players, the line judge and everything. That was actually the last camera configuration I ever did. After that, I thought, I'm the boss. I don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> it's, it's, it's too much stress. We've got a great team. But if I was to talk about my, my best day in motion capture that I enjoyed the most was capturing Tom York from Radiohead. Um, it was my first proper PCAP job, and it, but it was all optical markers over his face as well as the body. And I was the only person that was allowed near him because I'd keep watching the markers and stuff. And I hung out with him for a day and we both had children recently. So we were chatting like two new dads and, and it, it just blew my mind. You know, I, I, I couldn't talk. When I went to the pub in the evening to celebrate a successful day, I couldn't talk. And that's quite unusual for me. I, I was just sat there marveling <laughs> in what had gone on and the little picture he'd drawn me and stuff. So, yeah, that's, that's my most memorable day. That is a cool one as well, to say the least. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's nice to share it. Yeah. And really, about... when, you, when you have to put optical markers on someone, especially when it's someone you, know, you, you love and respect, you're literally 18 inches from their face for about an hour. And, you know, I had mints next to me. I think I had a hanky that I was sort of mocking Very my brow dream. with. Occasionally. <laughs> but he, was, he was really cool. And then he, was, he was previewing some videos and stuff that they'd done in the background. So there were all these kind of weird noises and stuff going on just to, you know, really amplify the experience. Oh, wow. And how about you, John? Do you have a... Uh, well, on 007 Legends, which is a James Bond game that I directed the statics for, I directed, I got, I got half a morning, half a day, whatever it was, a couple of hours with Judy Dench. And, um, you know... You, you you occasionally get to work with people who are utterly amazing. And I think she is utterly amazing. I mean, I, I do genuinely think that Judy Dench is like an incredible person. So I got to hang out with her for about half an hour just to settle the, the um, production company's nerves and Eon's nerves because they were all worried about, you know, the idea of Judy Dench working in a video game and you know, it's a bit below her pay grade and all that. And we had a really good chat. And it was a bit like talking to my mum. You know, she was really nice. But when she turned it on, when she got going, she was amazing. She was like a Rolls Royce. You just literally, you know, she was off. And what was really funny about it, and I gave some comments and I thought, and she would say, oh, thank you, Johnny. It's a good idea. Things like that. I got home and I just did a little bit of Googly and I found this article about Judy Dench and, and, and she'd been asked some advice from some, a young actor. Like, what, what's, your, what's your main advice, you know, for, for a young actor? And she said, 
Well, what, you, what, I, what I always do is I listen to what directors say and I, and I take, take on board what they say and I, and I say, thank you very much. And then I do exactly what I think. I feel bloody hell. She did me over. She made me think I was really, really clever, really, really smart. And she was just doing her own thing. And I thought, good on you, Judy. So that was, that's probably my most proud moment in, in games. Judy Dench in it. Who would have thought? And how about you, Pascal? Uh, it might have been some more recent... Um, happy but it's, it's a really nice question it's like an affirmation it's like it was it um <laughs> uh yeah so uh, they're, they're sort of thematic one was after working on uh, well during i suppose watching on watchdogs legion i got a chance to look at all the different uh archetypes as they behave differently in the same cinem cinematics just to set you up um you could pick anybody in the game and you could play them and then they would go into the cinematic and they would have different physicalities each one and I was, I was deeply involved with the creation of, of those. And just seeing how different they were and how, how it was working just blew my mind. There's also occasions in that game where I know that I'm playing one of the archetypes and it's not my regular one, but it's, it's, um, it's working according to the same physical rules and the same character rules. And you can't tell it's not me and not the other actor who normally does it. Um, recently, not recently, well, um, I have been asked on occasion to uh, to match other actors who can't make it to the studio for whatever reasons, um, and uh, that is a really enjoyable job. Um, it's like being an invisible understudy. And again, uh, one of the best moments recently was when the director uh, contacted me and said, um, "You know, I've done a really good job that uh, you couldn't really tell." that it was another actor, because, you know, th this actor already existed in this world, you know. Um, he couldn't really tell. Um, and then the, the actor got in touch and said that he'd seen some stuff as well and said that it was like a, it was like a, an incredible sort of actor collaboration, um, but that I'd done a good job as being more like him. You know, and I can't say any names, I can't really go into too much detail, but the basic mechanic, the things that I really, that really thrill me is the moment when somebody says, yep, you did it. That's right. You turned into somebody else and I was convinced and I couldn't tell if it was you or the other person. That's to me, that's the, that's, that's the reward. I love it. Emily, I think what that does is it, and I think all of our answers have been very much along the same track is I think what it proves is that this is a medium, which is not about egos. Yeah. You know, from, from people coming in, in, in wearing Lycra suits and not, not very flattering without makeup and costume <laughs> to, directors who have to work with animators and pipeline experts and defer to them occasionally, quite often in fact, to people like Phil, who's, you know, working with these rock stars, but you know, he's the CEO. I mean, I just think it's a, it's a very collaborative, unegotistical medium, and it's not a good place for people who want to show off and show how clever they are. It's about, I think you know, it's really interesting for me that Pascal's pr proudest of basically being a, being a work a day, really really high quality but 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 character actor and i mean i think that's very indicative of what it takes to be good at it because it it requires real teamwork if, if you I, go on to, if yeah. you go into a set with a big ego ego and expect to be treated and treat people as you would on some rather nasty film set you won't be asked back i've seen that happen as well <laughs> it's such that's a really nice because i've worked with those sorry as 
it's such a nice small community as well and like teamwork and like you said collaboration just seems such an important thing I yeah i think real egos in tv we're, we're very lucky in it, especially working in the game side of uh of performance capture because the, the clients generally are pretty cool people um, that want to enjoy themselves. They're not looking to make it hard work. In fact, they've got their own problems when they get back about actually making the game. So quite often the shoot is the thing that people really come together and, um, you know, enjoy themselves. And that's, I, I think without the, the working with actors element of motion capture, I probably wouldn't have stuck with it because I always hated, I had to sit at a machine and do post work and stuff. But what I really liked was being in the studio, that energy, yes, you've got to be in at six in the morning, but the, the, the buzz I'd get at the end of the week, if I've done a week shoot and I get home, I have a glass of wine and just recollect, play through what's gone on that week. And a couple of nights we all went out and got drunk when we shouldn't have and then turned up a little worse for wear. You just, it becomes very much a, like a, a family spirit to it really. Apologies yeah. for mentioning drunk as well. I forgot this is being recorded. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got loads of questions. So I'm just going to fire some at you. Um, I'm aware, so Emily, I haven't answered your question about, about getting into it if you're a director. So if that comes up... Oh, yes. Could we go to that one? Because I do know we have got some directors on it. It just saves them typing it in mm. the Q&A box before they get... So I'll just quickly do that one? Yes, if that's okay, because that'll probably, okay. that is one of the Q&A questions. Okay, so... Uh, I don't think my my necessary way into the industry is particularly useful, particularly because I, I'm, you know, I, I knew nothing about games. I think if we're talking about young people who want to get into directing in games, uh, Phil might have his own um, ideas on this as well, because obviously he comes across directors all the time. But to me, it's about a two pronged approach. One is you've got to be a good director. I think you've got to understand actors. You've got to understand scripts. You've got to understand visual storytelling, all that stuff that film and TV directors and animation directors do. So that's, that's a really important element. So you, you must be good on sort of dramaturgy, I think. You need to be good at, at understanding how to direct actors, what actors need. So studying, acting, even acting yourself sometimes, that's quite useful. Um, mm -hmm studying, directing, making your own films, making your own shorts, making anything on your phone, just making stuff, all of, all of that side of thing, and theatre or theatre, all of that I think is really important. But the other side of it is the kind of technical side. And I do think that young people are much better equipped than I was. They should understand animation. They should understand that pipeline. And, you know, these days, both Unity and Unreal are free. You know, you can download them onto a computer and you can play around with them and you can make stuff of your own. And I think if you get your head around real-time engines and you can get your head around the way the tech works which i think is possible these days i i'm even finding that people now are starting to make their own stuff i mean i i did this workshop the other day with a, a guy who works in unreal and he makes his own films in unreal with like two people he has a he has a sort of tech coding partner and a vfx environment partner and he makes these amazing films on his own it's possible now you know so, so I think, I think having your head in sort of the, the, the old fashioned, whatever you want to call it, dramatist side, the filmmaking and, and theatrical and acting side, but also having your head in the kind of technical coding, all of that side, then you're really equipping yourself with some of the tools that I think tomorrow's virtual digital filmmakers will need. Yeah, I agree. I like the bedroom aspect as well. People who've got connects, 
and yeah. the the PlayStation cameras, you can start doing your own motion capture with that. And there's software for processing it. It's not going to be as heavily nuanced as uh, you know an optical system, but you can have a you can have a lot of fun and play games. Under, understand the language of yeah. games uh, from the the technical side of the navigational moves to the cutscenes and things. You know if they. There's, there's never a better excuse, really, to say you're doing it as research to look at roles and, you know, and how things play out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is one of the questions, and I just thought this might be fulfilled, but if anyone else has got anything, you're more than welcome to chip in. Um, obviously, you're the CEO of Centroid. <laughs> is there any experience necessary for working with big companies like yourself? So as actors, performers, directors, is it important to have experience before they come to you working with other studios or do you sometimes work with people who've never had experience in a volume before? Um, but both. Certainly from the, from the crew side, I try and keep a, a, a balance. A lot of people come from, from university and we like to have experience, but as someone that had completely flunked school and got, was given an opportunity, and then made the most of it. I also sit on a board with the Next Gen Skills Academy, which is about sort of diversity and getting more people into the industry. So we have people that have their degrees and have gone the more, what is the traditional route. But then um, we, they, we have crew that we train as well. With From the acting side, it's always nice for us if an actor understands what the processes are in motion capture because it will make our, our lives a little bit easier from the technical front. But everyone has to start somewhere. And I think if you can act, that's the, that's the core of what you need to be able to do. I mean, obviously, John, and I'm, I'm getting a bit sheepish with John and Pascal being here who are much more proficient that side of the camera. It's about, I look for enthusiasm. And if, 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 if I'm torn between two people that have got roughly the same sort of experience or skills, and one has, say, worked with the public, worked in bars and that kind of thing, has some social skills. I will see that as an advantage if they want to, if they're going to work in a studio and they're going to work with my clients and they're going to learn to keep them happy. So it, it is about, you want people to understand the technology and what they're doing. But I would say there is a, there is more of a drive now to get people from, um, you know, that haven't had the opportunities to go to university maybe and, and these things to get them into industry through apprenticeships and things like that. You know, I think if your enthusiasm comes across and you've got some knowledge, you know, if someone wants talks, uh, gets in touch about Centroid, but they don't actually mention anything about Centroid or motion capture and they just say, I want to work in the film industry, da, 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 da. I, I don't, I don't reply. But if someone can show me they've got a genuine interest, uh, whether they've been to university or not, I'll at least have a conversation. I might give them a day in the studio so they get some work experience and they've just got a bit more of a feel. So it's it really, for me, it's important how you present yourself as much as it is to have the qualifications. Yeah, uh, great, thank you. And I've got someone else, and I guess this comes to you, Pascal and John. Obviously, John, you got the mocap vault. Pascal, you got your own training. What advice would you give for people who want to go into training? Obviously, this is an opportunity for you both to plug your own classes, but is there any other training that you could do on top of it? Well, um, well, I, I also teach with mocap vaults as well, so I can, yeah. I can, I can. Pascal is our man in Toronto, so. <laughs> in um, <laughs> um, so I'd say the original, uh, if you look at those uh, actors and performers who have come up over the past 10 years and are more established, right? So 
if you look at the teachers of the mocap course, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Richard Dorton, um, uh, 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 Gareth, Paul Mawinney, um, uh, me, uh, we all had some kind of a background in a movement skill. I was an ex-dancer. Uh, Richard was an ex-dancer, but also stunts, I believe. And uh, there was, uh, Ollie was a gymnast. Um, but here's the thing, is that that's not to say go off and train how to dance, go off and train how to do a martial art. But what it is saying is you need to cultivate the skills where you have a good connection with your body, a good command over your body, and a good understanding of your own physicality, so your physical tells. Um, and you can do that in a variety of ways. It could be sports, it could be Pilates, it could be um, a, a whole range of things. Um, but that, to me, is the, 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 the foundational principle. Because when you're training as an actor, often you forget that bit. So basically said, that basically a lot of action training currently is, know psychologically your motivation for doing something, do it and your physicality will, uh, will follow. And there's this sort of a disconnect between the mind and the body. So I would say do anything which is, that improves your sense of movement in space and improves your sense of your body's position in space and ultimately improves your emotional connection with your own body. Those, those are the three fundamental things that you should look at. Anything that, that, that ticks those boxes, do it. And I'm not, I don't re- really want to say, well, you must do Laban or you must do this because I think people come to it from different, you know, uh, from different directions. But some of the best mocap actors I've worked with uh, came from the background of town. I mean, and he, the, the, uh, this guy called Ben Clost, by far one of the best mocap actors I've ever worked with. So, but he had immense control over his body and his ability to, to tell a story non-verbally. So, yeah. Anything you'd like to add, John? Well, we get asked often, how do I get into the industry? How do I get a break? Where do I get the jobs? Where do I go? And, and I always want to bring it back to, you know, make sure that you're good before you try and do that. Yeah. Um, you know, be honest with yourself. It's like, I'm not going to apply to direct a TV show or a film unless I know that I'm capable of doing it. And, um, and I, think, I think being really being honest about whether you're communicating what you're hoping to communicate is really essential having those having the confidence having the ability having maybe getting some more training maybe you know the the, the things that are really important with mocap acting are you need to be really adaptable and really good at improv you know there's no point in kind of being an absolute perfectionist and um and interpreting text beautifully and all that kind of stuff if you can't turn on a dime and change that performance really quickly because actually no now you've got to play a completely different character um it's there is very little time for rehearsal there is very little time to think so it requires you to have a kind of arsenal and a and a, have had a lot of time in the past in your previous you know pre- preparation to get your acting chops and flexibility and adaptability there and ready so i for me that's really important richard always says be a good actor that's his stock answer and it's a good answer be a good actor that's what people are looking for so I, I, yeah I, I will recommend um from this is my own uh, uh personal view but it's validated by some of the other teachers i would say look at uh Laban, but from an acting perspective not a dance perspective look at uh lecoq the mask work that's uh, they do a two-week course in in france i think sometimes they go over to the uk as well but mask work is also terribly important. 
Um, and I, and, and uh, I know somebody really recommended yoga as well. I would consider Pilates too, because these are all, um, these are all skills that, uh, if, you, if you do formal martial arts training, for example, you're training your body to move in a certain way. Mm. And you can get trapped into moving that certain way and it reduces your range. Whereas if you really want to be able to embody any physicality, you need to be able to be you know, loosey-goosey as well as, as you know, rigid and military. You know, your body needs to cooperate and be seamless and believable. So th those are the, the, those I would say, try, look for those classes. Look for those, particularly for MoCAP. And underscoring all of that, again, with John and uh, Richard Dorton, be a good actor. That's it. Yeah. Definitely. Um, this is another question, and I thought maybe this could be a final question. It's from Dave. Uh, loving this session, thank you. Amazing lineup and stories. Quick question. I'm booked with the mocap training vault soon. However, with the demand of mocap and performance capture starting to surge, can you see specialized training course extending beyond M25? But also I want to add, do you see studios opening further than London? Because obviously you're in Canada, Pascal, and obviously you've got one in Mumbai, Phil, do you think they're just going to completely carry on growing and popping up everywhere? Um, was that about the studios? Regrettably, yes. Uh, my, <laughs> my competition grows each year, but it also the industry is growing as well, and without having more studios and to be able to service this growing industry it would all grind to a halt so but it's definitely there are there's small sort of more boutique-y uh companies setting up that will have one xn suit and they they do they work on a different level to us um yeah it's it, it's 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 growing uh, as for outside the m25 there are there are things. I mean, there's still a lot that's London centric, but it is. I mean, across Eastern Europe, I'm starting to go to more conferences um, out there in Croatia. They they have a lot more conferences now, so it, it is. It's growing. There's there's a lot more work. In fact, it's getting harder and harder to get staff now, because a lot of staff will want to migrate to Weta uh, once they they've kind of earned their stripes with someone like Centroid. So a large part of what we do is now tra is, is training people uh, for other companies, it feels like. I mean, that's, sli that's slightly cynical, but I, I will never tire of that. Giving people breaks and pay rises are the best thing uh, about being the CEO. Oh, great. I'll just quickly answer that one, can I? Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Um, yeah, the outside M25 thing is interesting. So you, there is audio motion, so sorry, Phil, to mention them, but they are, they are near Oxford <laughs> studio. But... but this is the thing about training outside of London. We really get desperate to do it. So we're trying at the moment to set up a Manchester training course. We're trying to set some stuff up in Newcastle. We've done some training in Newcastle, but what's really difficult is if there isn't an industry in that place that's provable, why should an actor local to that place go, oh, I'll go and do some mocap training because I'll get, be able to get a job. At the moment, the mo most of the work in the UK is around London. Um, that's the reality. So we are trying to extend, we very much want to extend our reach. Um, and I think this is true for other training companies. There are also other tra people training for mocap mo acting uh, and animators and directors. But the difficulty is the fact that an actor from that locality will have to be able to prove that their investment in that training course is worth that money and I, and I think 
what you what you'd say to yourself in London would be, okay, these courses aren't cheap, but I'm quite I, I've got more like likelihood of getting work here. That is not true in 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 Manchester. It's true to some extent. There are some small studios. Um, Newcastle is a very small studio, but it's not it's not a vi it's not quite viable yet for yeah. us to run classes there. And I'm but, but, it, but it also I, to, I'm looking at some of the questions here. It also bears mentioning that a lot of the reason why a, a low-cap studio will bring in somebody that is not used to the medium is because they've got that one particular skill. It's they have a specialism or a, uh, mm. so they print, they can speak Spanish, that they, um, they are a specialist in a certain kind of stunt, that uh, they have this martial arts skill, which, which um, uh, the usual guy they can't, they can't use, you know, for whatever reason. Um, on, on the occasions where I've seen new people coming in, that's why they're coming in. I've, I've been on the casting side as well, and we've been very, very particular about why it is we need certain skills. And that reduces the potential number of actors from 100 down to maybe three. So think of yourself as a, uh, as the, I mean, okay, mocap classes around the UK, yes, but there's also other things that you can explore and train in which expand you and your abilities as an actor and a performer increases the number of skills that may be relevant and called upon um, that the process of doing them is good for you so don't focus on you know is, this is going to get me a mocap job focus on being a great actor with many interesting and useful skills yeah i mean to to back up what pascal's just said a casing point was uh a long time ago i think the late 90s um, might have been a, in the 2000, we needed someone that could run up a wall and roll down stairs. And I got introduced to this gymnast called, gymnast called Oliver Hollis that <laughs> could, could do these things. And he, he wasn't an actor at all. He was a gymnast. And that was the, my first day of working with Ollie was the fact that he could roll down these stairs, stand up, strike a pose at the end of it and could run up a wall and flip. And then... He grew, as I said, back in the olden days, we, we, it wasn't so much about acting, it was just about capturing animation. So he was perfect for that. And then I think I'm right in saying he grew into a, you know, a really prominent performer in the industry. Well, sadly, we've got to wrap it up. But honestly, I could carry on talking to you three for, for ages. <laughs> um, but thank you so much, like Phil and Pascal Pleasure. and John. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, these sessions are recorded, so if you want to listen back, I know that there's a few people because of the time differences. Don't worry, it will be put on Spotify and on YouTube, where I will send it out later. Um, I've just got to plug, we are doing, this is part of the International Youth Theatre Arts Festival, so this is running until the 12th of July. So if you're wanting to see some live theatre and music, please come and join us. And we're also one of the first festivals to reopen in the UK after COVID. So it should be a lot Hooray! of fun. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, also, we have some other webinars coming up. So you want to work in the art sessions. We have them all week. So we've just put a schedule in the chat and along with a brochure for the festival to see what we've got going on. And also there is a link that's just got put into the chat. We would love any feedback that you guys have had. So um Thank you so much once again. And do you guys have any social media that you'd like to plug for people to follow you on? 
Uh, yeah, my, my Instagram my Instagram is up there, Pascal Langdale. Um, any uh, online classes I'm doing in love and psychophysical are posted there. But also if I'm when I set up classes for MoCat Vaults uh, in uh, Toronto and possibly in Montreal, that's where it all gets uh, all gets shared currently. Yeah, Centroid has uh, a presence on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and all, all the usual things. Um, yeah. I wouldn't follow me though personally. My my own accounts are quite boring, really. And <laughs> so, but yeah, but I, I would. I mean, Emily, you're welcome to put my email up. And for the next 24 hours, if anyone's got any questions, I, it won't drag on into the week. But I, I quite often do follow ups when I do a talk. So if anyone wants to email me something, I'm quite happy to get back to them in the next 24 hours. Of course, I'll just pop it in now before we all leave. Let me just pop it in. And mine's at, um, Twitter is at John Dower and um, MoCat Vaults have accounts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just look, look for the MoCat Vaults and you will find us. Great. Thank you so much, guys. And uh, hopefully we can do this again in 10 years' time, like you said, Al. Yeah, <laughs> I, I tell you, it would be interesting. It would be interesting. It would be. Well, yeah. I'll see you all later. When you're, Thank you, Emily. When, Thank when you, when you're a star in your own right, Emily. When you're oh, okay. hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. So if you ever want to hire me, Phil, you know where I am, right? <laughs> I do indeed. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank all right. You. Cheers, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.